Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice, and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. Today, I am joined by not one, not two, but three of the globe's heavyweights in sustainable business. Each has dedicated their lives and careers to business impact, and their latest work is no exception. Chris Coulter is the CEO of Globescan, based in Toronto, Canada. David Grayson, CBE, is Emeritus, Professor of Corporate Responsibility at Cranfield School of Management and the Chair of the Institute of Business Ethics. Whilst Mark Lee is the Director of the Sustainability Institute by ERM, based in Berkeley, California. Together, they are our social impact pioneers. I am very humbled to be joined by David and Mark just now, and hopefully Chris will be hot-footing it into this podcast, out of his conference, and join us very shortly too. The reason that these three gurus of social impact join us today is to share the insight they have gathered in writing their new book, The Sustainable Business Handbook. Now, I'm going to quote a few great people in terms of their thinking about this particular handbook. Says Siddharth Sharma, Group Chief Sustainability Officer of Tata Sons in India, says the Sustainable Business Handbook is required reading for executives who are looking to better understand and respond to one of the most important issues facing business today, sustainability. Whilst Mark Kutifani, who's the most recent Chief Executive of Anglo-American, says the book provides practical measures for companies of all sizes and from all geographies. And Alan Jope, CEO of Unilever, calls the book a comprehensive step-by-step guide that answers skillfully navigating business through the big questions of our time. So no pressure, gentlemen. I am expecting great things. Welcome. Katie, it's great to be here. It is indeed. Ah, thank you, gentlemen, for giving your time to us so generously. And I wanted to start our conversation today. You've recently released the Sustainable Business Handbook. And before we go into the book and the details around it, can you share a bit about your own journeys and and how you sort of got to this point? Mark, I wanted to to reach out to you first. Yeah, happy to take a first swing at this, Katie. And when people ask me why I'm doing the work that I'm doing, I almost inevitably end up saying, because I did a high school exchange to Brazil. I grew up in a in small town in British Columbia, Canada, and I had the opportunity as a high school student to go abroad for a year. And it was such a jolt, right, to be thrown into this very different economy and very different culture, totally different diversity, totally different income distribution emerging environmental challenges, you name it, that I had not seen through my eyes at that point. And I think that threw on a light or a switch in my life that said I wanted to do something that was 
development oriented. And at that point, I thought, oh, I'm going to work in the international development community. I'm headed for the UN. I'm going to work for the Canadian International Development Agency. And as it turned out, I think that the tenant of that has stayed true. But as I was emerging from college, there was this whole kind of corporate sustainability thing emerging. And my first job out of college, first real one, was with a Canadian credit union, Van City Credit Union, that was very early into the then corporate social responsibility space. And I was the company's first corporate social responsibility manager and wrote one of the very early sustainability reports in Canada or in the world. And that connected me up to a network globally. Simon Zadek of Accountability was our social auditor providing assurance on the report at that point in time back in the mid-90s. I ended up on the accountability board and plugging into a bunch of the work that was happening in the UK, building part of the professional network that I still tap into today. I, I, and, and then to sort of make a long story short, you know, the skipping stones were from a Canadian financial institution doing this in-house to business for social responsibility in San Francisco, where I kicked off their initial governance and accountability program when that was launching. And from there to sustainability and ultimately to where I sit today as the director of the Sustainability Institute by ERM. Thank you so much, Mark. And and I have to say that kind of jolt, as you called it, so often I hear that in, in with various people I, t- I talk to during this privileged opportunity I have in, in talking to people during the um, podcast series. Yeah, there's a there's a moment for many of us, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And David, I wanted to bring you in at this point. Do you have a sense of like what really kind of brought you to this point too? Oh gosh, Katie. So I was running my first campaign when I was nine years old and then ran several when I was a, a teenager. So by the time I was doing my master's degree in, in Brussels in the mid-1970s, uh, looking at how the European Union, as we now call it, uh, worked, I did my, my master's thesis on how the European structural funds, the social fund, the regional fund, and so on, would have to change in order to deal with the declining industries that were clearly uh, going to be in, 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 and the regions where those declining industries were focused would clearly need uh, to have a great deal more support in the coming decades. And then I found myself working for Potter & Gamble in marketing management in the northeast um, of England, a region which was full of coal mining, heavy engineering, basic chemical manufacturing, shipbuilding, and so on, all the regions in decline. And I went around talking to the trade unions, all the political parties and the employers' organizations and couldn't really find a great deal of thinking about where the new jobs, new economic activity was going to come from. And that led me to set up something called Project Northeast, which I'm delighted to say is still going strong 42 years later. It's worked in the meantime in 55 different countries. And that really set me on my campaigning road properly to think about the contribution that businesses could make to creating a a better future. And from their business in the community beckoned, and then I've been working with a whole variety of organizations ever since, and most recently been at Cranfield School of Management as a professor of corporate responsibility, setting up and running for a decade a Centre for Corporate Responsibility. And uh, Chris Hopfoot has just joined us, and I'm sure we'd love to also hear how Chris got into this whole world 
as well. Hi, Chris. Hi, David. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mark. I got into this world through interest in international development originally and then international relations. And the combination of those two things leading up and meeting the environment, very much, you know, kind of a sustainable development journey to a degree. And um, I think I like all good things in life stumbled into some, some interesting work in Ukraine as a volunteer uh, for the Canadian government, where we were doing some polling on issues like this is 1996 on views of NATO in Ukraine. So plus ça change. And then coming back to Toronto and, and stumbling upon this company called Globescan that was doing international polling on environmental issues. So the social science of it was very intriguing, the meaningfulness of it, and trying to help visualize and understand how the world is orienting around this existential opportunity of sustainable development is, is kind of my journey. Goodness me, Chris, it's pertinent about the fact that you were there in 1996 asking Ukraine about kind of NATO and seems as we record this mid-Ukraine crisis 2022, um, things perhaps don't change. And I wanted to bring in David to, to lead on our next question. So it's, a, it's that kind of white elephant in the room, David. There's loads of noise that environment, social and sustainable issues are super important to business. There's more noise about it now than I've ever seen before, whether it's BlackRock CEO letters, whether it's the World Economic Forum's most influential trends or the Endelman Trust Barometer, the kind of list goes on. But then I saw earlier this year in 2022, the World Benchmarking Alliance finding that 78% of the world's most influential companies, so their top 1,000 companies, scored zero on all three of the core human rights due diligence indicators. We've also seen this year in 2022, a sort of bit of a shareholder shout out around Unilever, who have been heralded as a sustainable leader for quite some time. What are we missing? What, where are we going wrong? Do we need to go back to the beginning? Please guide us, David. We certainly don't need to go back to the beginning. and We don't have time to go back to the beginning because on so many different indicators, whether it's the climate emergency, whether it's hyperglobal inequalities, whether it's extreme biodiversity loss, whether it's a tsunami of mental ill health coming down the line at us, all of these issues require urgent attention from all parts of society, including from business. So I think we have to build on what we already have on the companies that have now for several decades been working away at trying to embed sustainability. Yes, of course, making mistakes along the way, because that's the nature of progress. That's the nature of innovation. Not everything works. And I think we have to be a little bit realistic. Now, there are 8 billion people almost today on our planet, and inevitably there are lots of different views. So you will get some people at the Unilever AGM or any other corporate AGM challenging the policies of those companies. You will get some politicians who will be saying that they don't believe um, in the reality of, of, of uh, human-caused climate change and so on and so forth. There are 80,000 plus multinational businesses in the world, so you won't be 
realistically expecting all of those businesses to be making progress at the same kind of pace. So I think what we have to focus on is what can we learn from the leaders and how do we get the experience and the lessons from the the leaders and help the great majority of businesses to get on the journey that those leaders have started to pave the way, not entirely successfully yet, but have paved the way for, which is, of course, why Chris and Mark and I gave up quite a lot of our time over the last few months to write the Sustainable Business Handbook to try to to provide some very practical how-to tips for businesses that are not in the forefront of this global movement. And bringing in uh, Mark at this point, I mean, Mark, building on that question, how do we get businesses to sort of really take action here? What would be your advice? And what's the handbook saying for those who haven't perhaps had chance to read it cover to cover yet? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the handbook says embed this throughout your whole business. You know, we have a chapter on operationalizing sustainability and and that's actually how you read the handbook. You go chapter by chapter on a basis of need. So if you're thinking about strategy, just go to the strategy chapter. It doesn't matter if it's number one or number seven. Anyways, there's an operationalizing chapter in the middle, and it says this is about putting sustainability strategy and commitments into action throughout the business. And there's a lot of weight on throughout. You know, It means really at every level. So I think part of the challenge that we've had is that this has been a voluntary space. We should applaud the folks who have stretched what people probably thought business could do and maybe depending on perspective what they thought business should do but we're in a moment where the space is hardening and all the standards and the guidelines that we've had for a couple of decades are starting to be codified in more regulation or at least you know made common across industry and we're at a point where we can compare and contrast better i i think we probably see the best results too when businesses best align this with their core business models and so in Finance, you know, it should come down to basic questions of like, do all of your loans go equally to people regardless of ethnicity, gender, anything else? Have you been able to systematically eliminate the bias that's been built into our lending systems in the past? Do you uphold, you know, all tenets of diversity? Are you advancing all the people who work in your organization or who you buy from as suppliers on an equal and fair basis? And those things that I think that are closer to the business model, businesses have been able to do better. The farther they have to stretch into a voluntary kind of testing space, it's really interesting and it's really promising and it's really important. But I think we should probably also expect more variable results. And we will talk in a minute about kind of, you know, how to stay focused during tough times, actually, you know, double down on the, the core pieces. So thank you for, for leading that one out there, Mark. Chris, I wanted to turn to you now. You guys get the opportunity to see over a lot of different fences and across lots of different sectors and, and behind closed doors. What advice do you have for people who are perhaps listening to this who are within business or supporting business to enable action on sustainability? It's a great question, Katie. Obviously, first of all, by the Sustainable Business Handbook, indispensable, good reading, relentlessly enjoyable. But but I, I think there's and we and we tried purposely to simplify the the approach because I think one of the things we found in writing the book and post book was that there is a lot of intimidation to on how you begin a sustainability journey. Lots of jargon, lots of regulatory changes, as Mark was referencing. 
um, lots of volunteerism, and um, it's it's tricky. But but I think the the, the simple things are reevaluate what your business stands for. What is your purpose? Articulate it. Understand your material impacts. What are the what kind of impacts are you having around environmental issues, social issues, and then find a way to develop a strategy that is compliant related to these regulatory changes that are happening at remarkable pace, an avalanche of, of regulations and disclosure laws. So there's an ESG component. But beyond that, find a way that's un- your unique contribution as a business to the broad sustainable development agenda. And that magic, I think, is important not to lose because on one hand, we do need to raise all boats, but we also need innovation, creativity, inspiration to truly change how we live as a society. And and that requires a a huge amount of novelty and and, um, testing new approaches. So I think there's a, a, a case to be made that ESG is necessary, but not sufficient. And we need sustainability thinking to take us into the next piece of the puzzle that that science tells us is required. And David, turning to you now, I'm going to keep asking you the tricky questions, David, which is, we are, I mean, when we set up this podcast to now, which was probably a few weeks ago, the difference in the economic outlook has, I mean, just, it's falling off a cliff at the moment. So we're recording this mid-May 2022 with COVID, lots of the world still not even in recovery mode necessary. We've got conflict, we've got climate change coming down the pike really hard. And there's this sort of confluence of, of challenges that's driving a, what can only be described as a tsunami of poverty. I mean, whether you're experiencing it now, but you're definitely going to experience it next year. And it's crashing into the lives of everybody, let alone those who are most vulnerable and the communities around the world. How do we, how do we get business to keep caring about people and keep sustainability on the agenda. I mean, as Chris just mentioned, there's an increasing amount of regulation, but not necessarily around the human rights or the kind of really kind of caring for people. What would be your advice? How do we keep this on the agenda? So I think, first off, we need to constantly remind ourselves that when we're talking about sustainability, when we're talking about ESG or being a a responsible, purpose-led business, whatever kind of terminology you want to employ, we are talking about the social and the economic, as well as the environmental pillar. Sustainable development is those three pillars, or it is nothing. And so I think from the business leader's perspective, from, from an individual business's perspective, the starting point is thinking, about how do we find profitable solutions to the problems of people and planet and not to do not to make profits from doing harm and if we think about the origins of the very word company compagnie with bread now the sharing what is a a company or a business ultimately it is a community of people and I think any successful business today has to think about how do we make sure that we have the very best talent that we can, that that talent is as engaged and empowered as possible, that they understand 
how they're expected to behave in our organization, what the kind of ethical values, the, the ways of doing things around here that we stand for as a business. And that in order for all that to happen, the business needs to be taking responsibility for its impacts and being open and transparent and being accountable in the ways in which it operates. All of those are elements of what Chris and Mark and I argue in the Sustainable Business Handbook and indeed also in our earlier book, All In, The Future of Business Leadership. All of those things I've just described are what makes up a sustainable culture for an organization. So I think the the answer to your question, Katie, about how do we keep focused in this incredibly difficult world, the VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, is that we have to keep going back to our roots, so back to our purpose and back to our culture. So, Mark, I want to challenge you. If you were perhaps sat as an influencer within a company that wasn't interested first in sustainability, what would be your kind of first steps, the actions you take to try and embed sustainability? And, and then and then flipping it a little bit, you know, if you were in a potentially a, a brand, an organization that was already doing good stuff, what would be the sort of stretch that you would be pushing for? So putting on the spot there, Mark, what would you do? Yeah, thank you. You probably put the second part easier and I might just quickly tackle that, Katie. If I was in that more leadership organization today, I would be doing everything possible to extend the lessons that my organization had learned into my value chain. I think there's a lot of onus and accountability on on the largest businesses, the OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, or peak brands, to help the 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 medium and smaller enterprises in their value chains and who may not have as global of reach or point of view or access to to be able to manage this transition to a more sustainable economy as well, because this is hard. If I was somewhere that hadn't begun yet, I don't think there's just one right starting point, but I think thinking through organizational purpose helps and matters and trying to think how that connects to societal purpose and figuring out, you know, a little bit David's with bread comment, um, we're in this together. What is the societal purpose of this organization and what are we contributing back on the basis of our ability and opportunity to trade and be in commerce? You know, you have to think about the business case and you've got to get it aligned. I, I don't think the ones that are built on a benevolent urge last or endure the same way as the ones that are really thought through and connected to the core of what the business is all about. And then I think it's so important to engage people across the organization. David and Chris and I talk about leadership a lot, and we almost always come back to a leaders at all levels kind of notion, like from the board and the senior executive through to every line manager and every individual. Is there meaningful opportunity for everyone to see, understand, and participate in the sustainability agenda of the business so that it truly pushes forward across the whole entity? And it's when you see evidence of that, I think, that you know, it's getting embedded in the ways that are going to make a difference over the longer term. That's really helpful advice. I hope everybody listening has taken heed. And then my final question, I'm going to pose to each of you. 
is what's next? I mean, you guys, as you mentioned, you've written your all in, you've written the sustainable business handbook. What is next? Chris, perhaps I could turn to you first. Well, we have a also a podcast that we're um we're doubling down on too called the All in Sustainable Business Podcast that we are increasingly trying to explore the same the same topics you are too, Katie, and bring new perspectives and ideas and experiences that we hope are inspirational, but also catalytic and quite practical and in driving change. Because as David said, there are 85,000 multinationals on the planet. We have a very small fraction that are fully engaged on sustainability. So lots of work to be done. As Mark said, in, in value chains and supply chains, these are critical pieces of the puzzle to activate for you know, the incumbent leaders like the Unilevers and Ikeas of the world to make progress at, at pace and scale and deliver on their own goals. So, so the, 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 the podcast, I think, is an exciting vehicle for us to, um, to continue to re- rehash some of these themes and bring them to life, but also understand what's new and what's next. Oh, I love a good podcast. I'll make sure to stick the uh, link into the words that sit alongside this one, guys, so that everybody listening can hop over and uh, go and tune in and download. David, can I turn to you next? Obviously, you'll be podcasting. Anything else that we should be aware of? So amazingly, Chris and Mark and I do actually also have lots of day jobs uh, to do as as well, and as well as the the podcast, and actually also secretly maybe thinking about is is there another um, book collaboration of some form in the in the future that we might do? For me personally, one of the the immediate uh, next uh, things on my agenda on my to do list is to finish off a history of one of the very first of the corporate responsible co- corporate responsibility coalitions business in the community it's been going now for 40 years not quite as old as philippines business for social progress or part of the national business initiative in south africa but it's up there with the very first of the responsible business coalitions and we will be publishing this history next uh, month with business in the community. And I hope also that for the Business Fights Poverty Network, the history of business in the community may provide some clues, some ideas, both about what have been the critical success factors for BITC, but which also might be relevant in other societies, in other cultures. What are some of the, the campaigning techniques that the ITC has developed over the years that might be relevant to to other coalitions and other social movements, and also what are some of the the specific uh, campaigns that um, might be replicable in some other parts of the world, uh, not least on things like health and well-being, mental health in the workplace, um, some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion campaigns that the organisation has pioneered now for the best part of thirty years. So that's what's next. Wow, you are a busy man, David. Uh, I look forward to that history and welcoming you back to share more about it for sure. Although I am, I didn't know that the Philippines and South Africa had got there first. So um, I learn something new every day. And finally, Mark, I would like to turn to you. What's next for you, sir? Yeah, Katie, I think um, you mentioned the fragility or the at least the potential emerging fragility of, of the economy earlier in our conversation. And that's keeping me up at night somewhat. And so watching that and thinking of the economic pressure that governments and businesses and individuals are likely to be under in the years ahead, 
I think keeping connecting the ideas that are inherent to a just transition, you know, as, as people have thought through the transition to a low carbon economy, the broader acceptance and understanding that it, I think, must be a just transition and must be inclusive and must leave no one behind makes the task all the more challenging. And yet I think it's the only path. And I think that's very reflective of our field, that very few issues stand in isolation. And we have to keep connecting the parts that enable compound ideas to succeed. So I think it's imperative that we focus on and and work at that concept and make it a reality of a just transition. And that that is the pressing work of this decade. And with these co-authors in the thinking that we get to explore and in my current role inside ERM, trying to help unlock all the potential that's inherent across that global sustainability organization. I'm going to be pulling all the levers I can as fast as I can to try and help make some of those things happen. Well, on that sobering and very important message, I want to thank each and every one of you, David, Mark and Chris, for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. And for everybody listening, I will share all of those links uh, that were mentioned during this conversation in the words that sit alongside it. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kitty. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 